When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm -hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. We are going virtual today as we get ready for Thanksgiving Day with the Detroit Lions. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN. We are conducting this over Skype uh, for the first time. I was under the weather this morning, so I did not go out to Winter Park today. And uh, Matthew and I are, are still efforting to get you the podcast that uh, we know you are so uh, anxiously awaiting as the Vikings go into what could be one of their biggest games of the season on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day at Detroit. NFC North first place on the line. Vikings, of course, trying to make up for a defeat that happened three weeks ago that may not have happened had Blair Walsh been able to make an extra point. And Matthew, we'll start there. Is it a, when you go into Vikings Lions round two? Is it simple? Is it as simple as saying Blair Walsh isn't here? They win that game without him, or is there more to it than that? I mean, just factually speaking, yes, they do win that game without him if he yeah. if he doesn't hit a hit a post. And and I think there was that feeling. After the game, I mean, when we went in the locker room after the Chicago game, that was the lowest that I've seen this team by far. Yep. Just a defeated, frustrated, exhausted-looking team that didn't have answers. And then when we went into the the locker room after the Detroit game, the thing that mostly came out of it was, I mean, we should have had that. We should have had that. Although yeah. the, the one concern that I would have is how much they let their guard down on the final drive and then in overtime. That even when guys have talked about it this week, it's, well, I mean, come on, we were right there beating them. Well, but then there was that drive in overtime. Like, yeah, all these things count. I mean, that the drive in overtime counted as well, and they kind of lost their composure a little bit on that final drive. So even if they mostly held the Lions in check, uh, from getting too many big plays or whatever else, still, you can't be totally thrilled with that game when there were other opportunities to win it. Plus, all you need is potentially just one stop uh, in overtime or with 23 seconds left, and, right. and you win that game. So you cannot pin it all on Blair Walsh. No, you can't. I mean, that that part, and I say that somewhat facetiously, obviously, that you could. But, I mean, yes, they win the game 
regardless of, of what the Lions do in the last 23 seconds, unless the Lions are able to throw a Hail Mary, if Blair Walsh makes that extra point. That said, you should have been able to stop them in the last 23 seconds, and you shouldn't have been in a situation where they marched down the field as quickly as they did in overtime. Xavier Rhodes with a pass interference penalty that gave the Lions new life on a third and 10 was a big part of that. And then, of course, the Lions hit the, the game winner to Golden Tate. On a play, the Vikings actually had pretty good coverage, but Matthew Stafford, who's probably playing the best football of his career, makes a great throw, and Golden Tate is able to uh, break a couple tackles to go in for the game-winning score. So uh, certainly the Vikings have some things to watch out for, but I, assuming that some of these things we see on in the injury report are just them being precautious and that they're going to have more guys on Thursday than they are indicating in the injury report. I actually think this is um, a game that I would expect the Vikings to win. We'll get into predictions a little bit more later, but uh, I like this matchup. I, I like how their defense is playing, and I think uh, if they can go in there and um, do a lot of what they did late last week, we would we should see a, a better outcome for them this time. Yeah, the thing about late last week in, in the second uh, half against Arizona, they were dominant, as dominant yes. as they've been all year. The only thing for me is how different will that be with two offenses that have completely opposite philosophies? I mean, we see Arizona drops back, seven-step drops, and they have deep developing routes, and they like to work it down the field. So as long as you cover their one underneath route, which the Vikings mostly did a, a good job of, and then you put pressure on Carson Palmer, like you're, you're good to go against that offense. It's usually just hard to stop because they have so much talent in Larry Fitzgerald and Carson Palmer. But with Detroit, they get the ball out quick. I mean, the Vikings only sacked Matt Stafford uh, one time for a five-yard loss in the last game, and they kind of do exactly the same thing as the Vikings do, only their offensive line and running game Although the running game isn't much more competent, but it is more competent since everyone's is since 1953 than the Minnesota Vikings. But they, they don't really have much of a run attack either. It's Stafford, short drops, balls out quick. He throws it hard. He's got good velocity on his ball, and it, it gives guys uh, like Golden Tate room to make plays. So that pass rush that we watched dominate the second half of, of last week... I wonder how much of an effect that can really have on Detroit. I feel like this one is going to rest mostly on Captain Munnerlyn being back. He missed most of the Detroit game. And then Ben Anthony Barr, I was going back and watching the game in the game film, and something just is not going well with Anthony Barr. I know that we talked a little bit about it after the game, but watching it back, I, I felt it was one of his poorer performances and I just, you know, this is one of those games where Detroit is going to try and take advantage of him if, if he's got an injury and is playing through it. Yeah, I agree. He has not been the same guy that we've seen in years past. And, and whether he's hurt or not, it's kind of anybody's guess. He has not been on the injury report. That does not mean that he's not injured. Uh, the, at least would maybe not be something the Vikings feel the need to list because it may not be something that is going to cause an issue. I mean, we, we have to take them at their word for what they put in the injury report, um, but it, it certainly is a possibility that, that he's got something going on there. And he's been a guy that's been hurt in the past. I mean, he's had a lot of knee issues over the last few years, and uh, it certainly could be something that's uh, hampering him again. But, yeah, I mean, he has not been the same guy, and, and I agree. I think the fact that they were able to get to Carson Palmer with four rushers mostly last week Works for the Cardinals because they like to run deeper stuff, as you said, and they also like to spread you out. They weren't going to sit there in max protection sets 
they weren't going to sit there and say, we're going to get the ball out to our running backs because we need to get rid of the ball quickly. I mean, David Johnson certainly was a factor in that game, but they are willing to take shots down the field. The Lions are probably going to be a little bit more of the the school of thought of let's get the ball out, let's let Theoretic go to work, and there's no reason to think they won't do that when it worked reasonably well for them last time. And the Vikings were able to shut the Lions down for most of that game, but the Lions were able to do enough, obviously, to to win in the end. So, uh, yeah, I would I would expect that some of the things we saw from the pass rush last week are not necessarily transferable to what you get from the Lions, and it will be on them to be able to tackle guys in front of them, which they didn't do very well last time. Yeah, I'm wondering how the Lions uh, do adjust, though, because, like you said, the, even though the Vikings were missing, they were missing Eric Kendricks for that game. Am I correct in that? The, against the Lions? Yes. Yeah, okay, so he yeah, was out. I believe so. And, and Captain Munnerlyn was mostly out for that game outside of six plays, and yet the Lions, out. they had one great drive at the uh, in the second quarter, and then they had one great drive in overtime, and the rest of the game they were slowed down for the most part, uh, by very good tackling on those short throws, which is something that has been an issue at times uh, during the losing streak and even in the first half of, of last week's game. So do the Lions try some deeper stuff? I mean, do, I, I guess I, I'm curious to see what they uh, try to try to do because they had so much trouble the last time. And then the other factor that comes in for both of these teams is, well, you don't exactly have a whole time, a lot of time to get ready uh, for this game. So I, I feel like both teams are pretty much going to go in with the same strategies as they had last time with the Vikings feeling like they should have won and the Lions knowing that they won. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those games where I, I suppose in the sense of getting ready on a short week, it's a good thing because it's a team you've seen before. I mean, you're not sitting there and saying, well, we have to spend, I mean, cause I can remember the game last year, the Thursday night game in Arizona, they had just gotten pasted at home by the, the Seahawks, and they were going into this game with the Cardinals, and, and Mike Zimmer was talking, I think it was a week he was talking about not leaving the facility and how he went home for a couple hours and uh, stopped at McDonald's and uh, asked for two cheeseburgers, and they only gave him one, and that became this thing where the McDonald's gave him 100 cheeseburgers <laughs> uh, to make up for it or, or something like that. So uh, it's a little less stressful, I guess, in the sense that, you played this team and you kind of know what to expect from them, but it's also tough in the sense that if you want to make adjustments and, and kind of counter program, I suppose, to, uh, to do things differently, it's hard to do that when you don't have that much time. I, I do agree that if they have Kendricks back, if they have Munderland back, and I would expect that they'll have most of those guys. I mean, they're, they're obviously going to keep guys out of practice in a short week. If they have injuries, they need to rest up and, and we'll see a final injury report tomorrow, and I'm sure we'll list lots of guys as questionable. But I don't think they're going to have three-quarters of the defensive backfield out on Thursday. Yeah, no, probably not. I, I'm assuming that you want to just rest some of your players who are dinged up. But when it comes to the, this Lions offense, Mike Zimmer talked about it a little bit today. He said he thinks that the protection is different, and that's where they're improved. And I don't know if that's what I think. I think it's a, a change in offensive philosophy kind of like the Vikings, and we saw a great example of just if your system is wrong with the quarterback's talents and your personnel, then your quarterback is really going to struggle. And I, th- I think that's what was happening with Matt Stafford in the last couple of years. But I, I, I go into a game against the Lions, though, still feeling like 
Matt Stafford just does not scare me in the same way that even good quarterbacks who have struggled would. And I'm thinking of Aaron Rodgers here. Like if the, when the Vikings play the Packers at the end of the year, I'm still going to be thinking any day Aaron Rodgers can go nuts and, and throw for 450 yards on you. With Matt Stafford, he's got all the statistics and yet I never go into a game thinking, Gosh, boy, they're they're really in tough facing off with Matt Stafford today. I I, I don't know if um, I don't know if you have that same feeling. Yeah, I would kind of put him in that group. Um, guys like Tony Romo to some extent. Um, you know, Philip Rivers probably a little. I mean, Philip Rivers, I in general, I think has been a better quarterback than Matt Stafford over the years. But yeah, I mean, there there are those guys that put up a lot of numbers that have the gaudy stat lines that don't really get it done when it comes down to it and then you're not they're not guys that you watch and say oh yeah this this guy is going to be impossible to deal with now that said Matthew Stafford has probably played the best football of his career in the last year here and, and has been impressive but you still need to see him kind of get over the hump and, and take a team to the playoffs because the times that he's done that they've been uh they've been one and done and, and two years ago when they had a chance to win the, the NFC North title against the Packers in a game where Aaron Rodgers left for part of the game, they weren't able to get it done. So until he's able to add a few more pelts to the wall, so to speak, <laughs> uh, he probably is going to be one of those guys that gets discounted a little bit. And yeah, I agree with you there. He's had you know the close game wins so far this year. I guess everything is kind of leaning in his direction, whether it's the stats or how he's played this season. And yet, I just I still can't get over that hump. And maybe it's a little bit of the you you bring up Tony Romo, and that's a guy who easily, in my mind, has Hall of Fame stats. But a lot of people have a tough time because he just hasn't won anything. And all the great quarterbacks usually at least get to the Super Bowl. Maybe we have to see a little bit more from Stafford. There's also, like with Sam Bradford, these are top overall picks, and sometimes the uh, top overall picks get such high expectations on them and get thrown into bad teams, bad situations, uh, a Lions team that loves drafting at some wide receivers, although I guess that's maybe going back too <laughs> too. That might be going back a little too far with the men. Charles Rogers days. But... Yes. but but I needed to drop that in. So maybe it's it's also the case of you him. Remember that guy, Charles Rogers? I, I do. And then, uh, was there a Mike Williams in there or something? Someone Williams? Yeah. Charles Rogers was going to be one of these guys that was like the greatest receiver. I mean, because I remember he made that ridiculous catch in college. It was like a one-hander falling back towards the goalpost and he was at Michigan State. And he was the number two pick in the draft and thought he was going to take over the world and never did it. And yeah, there was, a, there was one of the many receivers named Mike Williams, past and present, and then when they finally got Calvin Johnson, it was like, okay, they now they have one that can work. But, uh, yeah, the, during the Matt Millen days, they certainly like to stack up on those guys. Allow me to channel the, the Jerry Seinfeld and say, what's the deal with all the receivers named Mike Williams? There was the guy from <laughs> Tampa Bay. There's the guy who plays now for Clemson who's going to get drafted the, by yeah. someone. Like, I was going to say that. I mean, yeah, I, the the guy at Clemson is kind of the latest. I mean, there, there's been three, right? I mean, there's there was like the guy in Buffalo. Uh-huh, yep. Well, he had played for Tampa Bay, but then ended yep. up in Buffalo, and that's where his career, I think, pretty much came to an end. Yes. And, yeah, the guy from Clemson, the guy from uh, USC who went to the Lions, and, you yeah. know, like probably like eight more somewhere or another <laughs> along the way. Um, yep. Speaking of speaking of receivers, though, the, they don't have that problem now, Detroit. And <laughs> No, they do not. Golden Tate came through at the end of that game and made a big play and whirled himself into the end zone just to put the exclamation point on it, which on the conference call he 
said that uh, he probably shouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, thanks for breaking that news, Golden. Yeah, <laughs> if if he had fumbled and it had gone out of the back of the end zone, that would have been a, a touchback, and it would have been. Didn't whole, he initially hilarious. say that God told him to leap? Did he really? I thought so, or something oh. like that. I thought that's what he said initially. Well, I mean, if God tells you, then I guess you probably should do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> although next time, maybe just listen to to Jim Caldwell. But yeah, uh, I think. God is generally more concerned with things of, of more import than uh, whether Golden Tate does a flip at the end of a football game. But maybe. You don't know that, Ben. You I don't. don't know that. I don't know that for sure. Um, he's been given credit for many things and occasionally blamed by one Buffalo wide receiver, Stevie Johnson, for a drop, I think. I think <laughs> really? I think he did against a drop against Pittsburgh. It would have been a game-winning huh. touchdown. And I think he, on Twitter, asked God why he did that to him. Like, no, I think that was you, man. I think that was you with the hands. Um, well, yeah. But this receiving core against the Viking secondary is just, I mean, even though they just played, I know, but it's a good matchup. I I mean, I think it, for Detroit, it's about as good as it gets in, in terms of playmakers. Jones can go deep. Tate can do anything. He can turn a short pass into a big play. He can go for a bomb. I mean, they're, they're weapons, and then you add Eric Ebron to it. I kind of had the feeling that they were going to be a problem for the Vikings last time. They really weren't, but maybe in round two they are. Yeah, I mean, and we'll see what happens as far as Captain Marlin, if he's able to go. I, I would expect that he will. I mean, he, he played last Sunday. And he made no secret of the fact that he was having to, to fight through it a little bit on Sunday. I mean, when we talked to him in the locker room on Monday, he, he was not trying to pretend that he felt great, and I, I don't expect that he'll feel great. This week, either I remember talking to him uh, in the locker room in Arizona last year, asking him just about uh, how how long does it take you to feel normal after a Sunday game. He's like, it, it's usually like Thursday or Friday before I feel like myself again. So mm-hmm. that sort of tells you what NFL players think of these Thursday games and, and what they have to do to deal with them. But uh, yeah, I would expect he'll go. And I would expect that that will help with a lot of the, the issues that they, that they had last time. And the guy that, to me, is the big concern is theoretic because this has not been a team that the Vikings have not been a team that has tackled particularly well in recent weeks. They, they were better at it on Sunday, but they again got gashed in the running game and, and they got gashed on some of the short passes. I mean, David Johnson had a big day and it would be more on the short passes that I would expect theoretic is going to give them problems this week. But that to me is one of the guys that that can really flip this game in the Lions' favor if he gets a chance to to make a lot of big plays. I think you touched on it. That for me, the biggest thing for the Vikings' defense getting back to what it was supposed to be last week, other than the pass rush, but it was it, just the health. I mean, yeah, the pass rush was better with uh, just using the front four, but at the same time, when you're not trying to cover up for a weakness here or cover up for a weakness there, which I felt like is exactly what they were doing for the last couple of games, especially against Washington, this guy's out or that guy's out, so you've got to put a Band-Aid over this, or you've got to try to be overly aggressive to force a mistake, even though you know that it could come along with pretty significant risk. I mean, I I thought I saw that a few times with the Washington game where, you know, maybe they're, if it's, you know, if it's uh, Eric Hendricks is in the game or Captain Munderland is in the game or whomever, 
um, then you're talking about a, a much different uh, play calling from Mike Zimmer where he's not trying to – I think he even alluded to this where at times he felt he was trying to do too much. Yeah, it, he has said that in recent weeks, and I, I think that was the game where he said it, that he, he was talking about how you're all, a lot of times you're trying to make plays for guys when you're making certain calls. And, and it, it almost sounded even on Sunday like he had to – kind of almost be held back from that same temptation mm-hmm. to, you know, he was talking about, I wanted to blitz more and players told me, no, just keep doing what you're doing. Everything's fine. You don't need to, to make it any more complicated. Just go out and, and call basic stuff and, and we'll rush forward and, and drop seven and, and be fine. And, and they were. And uh, I mean, again, like we're talking about, I'm not sure that putting pressure on Stafford is going to be quite as easy in that regard, just because they're going to do more to get the ball out quickly. But yeah, I mean, there, there's that tendency that we've seen in recent weeks from Mike Zimmer to uh, overcompensate at times. And and you see players kind of doing some of that too, but uh, yeah, I mean that, that will be something they have to figure out on Thursday. If in fact they're going to to get out of this game with a win, Uh, we of course are the people that are running around all the time saying their defense is horrible uh, as we heard today <laughs> but uh you know take take our opinion for what it's worth maybe zimmer's uh, listening to a different podcast maybe i mean the, the, <laughs> we're apparently the doom and gloom people there's a lot of doom and gloom about how terrible we are in defense but we are plus 13 or something in turnovers yeah zimmer said today yeah so. i'm not i'm not quite sure who he was uh alluding to there because we've talked about them as uh one of the best defenses in the league the entire season um he question- enjoys his straw men he he does he does because then he accused us of uh, overhyping the yep. defense into the eighty five Bears, which we didn't do either. But right, then he well, says nothing is nothing as good as nothing is as good as it seems, and nothing is as bad as it seems. Uh, says the guy who is using the media to whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it just it doesn't bother me because whatever message he wants to send to his team, yeah. um, I'm not if sure we, that. He has the greatest feel of how to control the mental state of his team, but if that's the way he wants to do it, then uh, I don't mind being that straw man. It's just uh, we it worked for him last year. Yeah, in the middle of last year, he was to the point where he was kind of almost asking Bob Hagen, their uh, their chief PR guy, for negative statistics that he could throw to the team to tweak them every week. I mean, it started with people. He, you know, it was all you guys are saying we can't win in Chicago or we can't win in primetime or we can't beat a team with a winning record. I mean, he kind of had something every week that that people in the media had brought up, but it got to a point where they won five in a row. They were seven and two. It, and I remember talking to him about this last year in his office. You know, I kind of said, when you get to this point and you're seven and two, you don't have a lot of things to pick from as far as, um, negative reinforcement and uh you know what do you do and he said well i you know i'll have the pr department look up things for me and i can use that to tweak them so yeah whatever he has to do to get his team to win i guess is uh is his prerogative but uh yeah we're happy to happy to help with that however we can how big is this game to you um because for me i look at this is and i don't mean to be over dramatic guy with a big uh, panic button on tv or something like that but if you lose if you lose this one to Detroit your your season isn't melted completely but you are now in really tough as opposed to feeling in control because looking at the standings i mean Dallas is the next game for one and then they're the right. best team in the NFC 
And and Dallas is is going to win the NFC East. Okay, so you got that set. You know your division winners. It's probably going to be Atlanta. It's definitely going to be Seattle. And then you've just got this cluster behind, which the Vikings after this game will either be in or not be in with the Giants, right. with Philly, with Washington. And uh, I mean Arizona is kind of slipping behind, but even Tampa Bay is five and five. And if you end up six and five. Yep. You end up in this complete cluster as opposed to feeling like you've got your head quite a bit above water. You're in, yeah, and you're in a cluster with two teams that have beaten you, which is also a problem. Right. With, with Washington and Philadelphia. So, and now Washington plays Dallas on Thursday, so Washington could end up taking a loss too. But if the Vikings lose, Washington will be ahead of them no matter what happens in the Redskins Cowboys game Thursday afternoon. I mean, they beat, the Vikings obviously beat the Giants, but, uh, yeah, you you don't want to be in that mix. I just I don't think you want to be in that situation where you're having to sit there and and play the the scoreboard watching game, especially if like we're saying it's it's teams that you've already lost to in in two of those three cases. And you know, I to me this is a this is one of the biggest games of the season. I I think you you want to go in saying we can win our division, and it's going to be very tough to do that if they lose this game because then they're a game behind the Lions. They have no shot at the tiebreaker because the Lions will have swept them, which effectively means they need to be two games better than the Lions over the last five. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly is a pivotal game. And our, our uh, I was actually just looking up an email from our stats and information people. Uh, they have the Vikings' chances to win the NFC North currently at 65%. Hmm. Uh, the Lions at 27% based on our FPI, which I the football power index, I think, is what that is. Um, Sounds like such a football thing. It is, power yeah. It's index. an analytics thing. You can't you just know, have an index. It, it's got to be a power index. Yeah, it definitely has got to be a power index. And then Leave I think the regular index to soccer. Yep. Yeah, we got to have a power <laughs> index here. I, the five thirty eight gets involved with this somewhere. Um, you know, they probably they probably have nothing to do now that the, the election's over. So, at any rate. Um, 65% for the Vikings currently, 27% for the Lions. If the Vikings win this game, Stats and Info has their chances to win the NFC North at 86%, hmm. and the Lions at just 8%. Now, if the Lions win the game, the Vikings' chances drop from 86% to 39% to win the division, oh, and the Lions wow. go up to 50%. So to call this a pivotal game, I think, would be an accurate depiction of it, at least according to the uh, numbers walks that uh, work out in Bristol, Connecticut. And and not only that, but just how it will feel with this team is that they were selling hard on, all right, guys, we lost four in a row, but you know what? Like, we're still, we're still alive. We're still good. Hey, look at these other teams. I wrote about the 94 Patriots last week, how the 94 Patriots lost four in a row and still ended up being 10 and six. The 2011 Giants did it with Linvald Joseph as their nose tackle. Uh, they won the Super Bowl and lost four games in a row in the middle of that season. Other teams have gone through pretty bad skids and still come out on top. But if you lose five out of six, I mean, we're pretty convinced then that you're just not good, right? I, I mean, you're, yeah. if you're if you're trying to reach back and tell me, yeah, but remember Houston? Like, yeah, when, how, what did Judd have? That was 43 days ago from, from last Sunday. So that's a long time ago. But if you win two in a row uh, against two teams that are in the playoff hunt, I can totally buy uh, that argument that, 
Uh, those two games against Chicago and Philly were an anomaly. The other two games that they lost were really close, and one thing had to go their way. But if they lose against Detroit, then I will definitely go with, hey, you had to get a kick return for touchdown and an interception for touchdown to win, and that just wasn't sustainable. Right, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, I mean, in in the modern NFL, you can't rule out anything, especially when your next opponent is a team with a rookie quarterback. But I would not want to go into a situation where I'm counting on having to beat Dallas the following Thursday. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, Dallas is, for my money, the best team in the NFC and, and one of the two or three best in the NFL. And I say that with the caveat that we have to see them prove it in the playoffs. But the weapons they have and that offensive line, I, I don't think that's a great matchup for the Vikings. So coming out of this 7-4 and four instead of 6-5 and five is going to feel a lot different, especially when you have the Cowboys coming in after that. So, yeah, I, I agree that this is a very big game, and I, I think uh, the Vikings are – are probably going to approach it accordingly. I mean, especially you've already lost two games in the division. I mean, you you have to take care of some of these games here to assert yourself at the top of it. And and I, I still think the Vikings are the most talented team in the division from top to bottom. I mean, all of their issues, taking those for what they are, I still think uh, they are the best team in the thing. And, and uh, winning Thursday would be the best way they could possibly prove that. Before the result on Thursday, where would you put them – in terms of the entire NFC, would you put them over the mm-hmm. over the Giants, who are seven and three and have won five in a row because they beat the Giants? Uh, over Atlanta, who uh, has an unbelievable offense, over Seattle, I, I couldn't. I don't think I could put them over no, Seattle. Nor could I. I boy, um, Dallas is better. Seattle's better. Um, beyond that, though, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Giants have won five in a row but uh i I don't know i mean they when they play the giants and i i realize a lot of it in the nfl is when you play teams but Mm -hmm. i don't know i i the giants haven't really beaten anybody that impressive um so i'm i guess they beat the cowboys in week one but that's such a long time ago now that i mean in this current streak they they haven't you know blown anybody out or and they won a lot of close games so yeah, I, I I would put the Vikings in there, and I, Atlanta for all the weapons they have. I always have a little bit of trouble buying Atlanta until they show me otherwise. Just mm-hmm. Matt Ryan when it counts, I have trouble buying that. So I I'd put them right in there with the top three, but you've got to go show it. I mean, you got to go win Thursday and prove that once again, and, and certainly put yourself in a position to um, have the front seat in that division and and put yourself you know still in the mix to have a, a chance at a first round buy. I mean, you, you can pretty much kiss that goodbye uh, if they would happen to lose Thursday. And not that the odds of it are that great, but Seattle still has uh, Carolina road trip to green Bay, Arizona on the schedule. Now I mean, there's some chances they could slip up in there and, and you want to put yourself in position to capitalize. If in fact that were to happen, I think I might put Washington ahead of the giants still, even though yeah, the record... I, think I probably would too. That that tie throws you off a little bit because you see six wins, but make a kick there with uh, Dustin Hopkins in London, and it's those two teams are seven and three, and I would lean toward Washington with uh, some of their more impressive victories, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think I would too. I mean, and some of that I'm basing on when I saw both these teams play the Vikings. Now the Vikings were 
a better team when they were playing the Giants than they were when they were playing the Redskins. But yeah, I I would put the Redskins ahead of the Giants too. I agree with you there. Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. Now, uh, one thing that would make the Vikings a more talented team is <laughs> if they had their running back, their uh, future Hall of Fame starting running back, back in yeah, the lineup. That would and, help. And, Ben, you uh, have made the crawl on the ticker on my TV the other <laughs> night by reporting something about Adrian Peterson. Why don't you tell me about that? Yeah, they, uh, from what I've been told, they may have a chance to get Adrian Peterson back here in the next um, three to four weeks is, is kind of what I've been told. He, he had an exam late last week that showed his knee is, is making good progress, and, and uh, he should be cleared to, to be running this week. Now, they probably were not going to have him do that uh, in public view. Mm-hmm. with uh, the media presence at Winter Park today. But, uh, yeah, he, he has been uh, told he can start running this week, and they're thinking three to four weeks. So, I mean, you're in a situation where he still has to be careful. I mean, you still can't come back and think, okay, he's going to be full go in the next week or two and because the, the concern would be some kind of re-injury. And if that were to happen, at this point, you're probably talking about a pretty significant setback to the rest of his career. So, I mean, as Captain Munnell said yesterday, he does have to think about the rest of his career. But Adrian Peterson is a guy that is going to push to play. He, he's a guy that thinks he can still help this team. He's always been a quick healer. He believes he's a quick healer. So I, I think he's going to try to play, and I think there's a very good chance we will see him. Now, the, the two target dates I, I kind of threw out there in my story were – uh, December 18th against the Colts and uh, December 24th against the Packers. And, of course, the latter of the two dates would be five years to the day since Peterson tore his ACL in Washington, which then gave way to him coming back nine months later, winning MVP honors and nearly breaking the single-season rushing record. So that, that narrative about him being a quick healer kind of stems back from that original ACL injury. And, and uh, he may be making his return on a significant anniversary for him, or maybe it'll be sooner. But um, from what I've been told, he has a very good chance of coming back this year. Okay, so here's my question about that then. Do the standings, does the standings, do the standings uh, affect <laughs> whether he comes back or not? Because if I were him, it would, for sure. If, if my team is about to go into the playoffs and we're leading the division, guys – AP's back. Like, let's make the playoffs and go try to win a Super Bowl because I think he's dying to have that uh, for his legacy uh, to complete himself as one of the all-time greats um, in what he's done in the NFL. But if they're sitting there out of the race, I think he's probably, or at least I would be saying, all right, guys, we'll uh, see you on the other side. Yeah, I mean, that could end up determining it one way or the other. I, I tend to think with Adrian Peterson that he's going to try to play no matter what the case is, because I, I think there's part of him that wants to show that he's still good enough to go do it. And your best chance to do that, I mean, you, you could take that two ways, right? I mean, you could say, don't play because you're 
possibly going to be a free agent in March and you have to be healthy and you don't want to risk anything. Or you could say, go play because you're possibly going to be a free agent in March and you, you get another chance or two or three to show people that you're still good enough to do it. So you could take that any one of a couple of ways if you're talking about whether or not he should go out there. But yeah, I, I think if they have a chance to win it, if they have a chance to win the division, obviously his, his resolve to get back is going to be that much stronger because the other thing to remember here too, is that the Super Bowl is in his home, his an adopt in his adopted hometown of right. Houston, where he lives in the off season, where he opened up his gym last spring. I spent some time with him down there this summer. And, and we talked a lot about that, about, Super Bowl is in Houston and, and how much that is sort of circled on his calendar saying, if I'm ever going to do it, this is the one I'd want because it gives me a chance to play in front of family and friends and, and have, you know, this sort of narrative about me coming back home. I mean, all of that stuff kind of matters to him being, you know, having the symmetry and having this chance to sort of be the hero in his own story, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of that stuff for writing legacy kind of things is important to him. And I think if they have a chance to get that far and you could argue one way or the other, pretty convincingly that about how good their chances are. But I think if he thinks they have that chance and if he thinks he can help them get there, certainly he's going to try to push the play. I, I think he will try to either way, but that certainly would make the, the desire to do that a lot stronger. I um, have changed my tune through uh, throughout this season on Adrian Peterson and what I think he we've all done that to the yeah it, it has and um, well look I mean I thought that bringing Jarek McKinnon in as the starting quarter uh, starting running back after Peterson got hurt would give them new dynamics to their offense and it just hasn't I mean, yeah they, they're. Uh, numbers in the receiving game between McKinnon and Asiata have been extremely underwhelming. Um, McKinnon has the ability to shake guys, but does not have the ability to run through tackles. And if you're getting hit by linebackers pretty quick, I know a six foot one, 220 pound guy who can break those (laughs) tackles. And and I don't think McKinnon can, that doesn't mean that Jarek McKinnon couldn't be a, a really good running back. Um, as I think we've seen a lot this year in Oakland and in Dallas, Ezekiel Elliott's a freak talent, but oh my gosh, that offensive line. Um, yeah. we, we saw it in Denver a bit too. Ronnie Hillman was playing in Denver, averaging over four yards a carry because in part they last year had a good offensive line. Now that they don't, and they've struggled this much and haven't really taken much advantage in the passing game with the running backs. And also when it comes to protecting the quarterback, the, neither one of the running backs has done a good job. So those concerns that we had about how Peterson fit to me, they're just gone. Now tweak how you approach the running game. If Peterson comes back and you're still in contention and he can, he can do a swing pass now and then, right? We saw a little shuffle pass from uh, Bradford last week and Brett Favre used to take a step back and, throw him a little swing pass around the corner. So, I, I mean, now I almost think in order to have a little bit of that threat, and also I ran across the statistic that they are dead last in explosive plays, runs of yeah. more than 10 yards or passes of more than 25, they need to have somebody who scares the other defense. That, to me, is the biggest thing, is that you do not have a lot of home run hitters on this offense right now. And, and you could make an argument you really don't have any. I mean, Stephon Diggs certainly could be that guy. Cordell Patterson has opportunities to be that guy. But those guys 
are dependent on Sam Bradford having enough time to get the ball out, and that's all dependent on the offensive line. Now, of course, Adrian Peterson would have to depend on the offensive line as well, but if you have another guy, number one, that could turn a broken tackle into a big play, and number two, a guy that defensive coordinators have to worry about, that to me is a big deal. And that was one of the things that we talked about when he got hurt. And there was sort of this kind of glib narrative from some corners of of Vikings fandom about, oh, we'll be better off without him. I mean, people have grown tired of the pass protection issues and sort of the scheme rigidity, I guess, that that comes with him at times. But, you know, I, I think I said it with Mackie and Judd this summer when we were at U.S. Bank Stadium. He, he's kind of like Shaq in the sense that he does – you know what his warts are, you know the things that he doesn't do well, but – got a couple things that he does really 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 well Mm -hmm. and you'd still take that on your team every single time what i can't have though if i'm pat Shermer, is him run the offense when he comes back. right no question about that it 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 has to be continuing to pass the way they've passed because if they had this passing game with the efficiency seven yards per attempt for sam bradford solid Mm -hmm. completing 76% since Pat Shermer took over as interim uh, offensive coordinator, which is like mind blowing. Three out of every four passes are a completion for Sam Bradford. Keep that efficiency and add just another shade to it. And you know, the other thing I, here's where it came into my mind uh, last week, they've got the ball and there's about four or five minutes left in the game or whatever. And they've got this lead win the game. I mean, mm-hmm. this is where Adrian Peterson wins the game for you. Yeah, you're right on the doorstep. You've made it eight innings, and now you need to bring in Mariano Rivera or Trevor Hoffman yes. to close yes. it out. And they couldn't do it. And they're throwing—I mean, they're throwing passes, and they get an incompletion, and they stop the clock. And we're sitting up there going, "I mean, this has got disaster written all over it because they just can't get that one first down to close it out." And Peterson is the guy who can do that. Yeah, I agree, and we saw him do that last year. I mean, he I think it was averaging something like seven yards a carry in the fourth quarter or mm-hmm. something like that, and you know, some of that got inflated because of, of big runs like the 80-yarder he had in Oakland, but you, you know, you have no need to apologize for that. I mean, when you, you can break a, a run like that that wins a game on a fourth and one like he did last year, you'd much rather have that than have your defense have to go out there and try to make a stop one last time and they they have a defense that can quite often do that but yeah you would very much like to have a guy that you can give the ball to when the other team is tired and say go get a couple first downs run out the clock or make a big play to put the game out of reach and I still think that your best chance to do that he may not be completely what he was when he was 27 28 years old I'm not expecting that that will be the case immediately when he gets back but I still think that they are going to be better off with him foibles and all than they would be without him and I do think that they made some progress at times uh, you know last week there were some runs they, they actually converted a third and one which was mind-blowing and uh, <laughs> there, there were some other runs where Jarek McKinnon and this is the thing he's he gets a safety lined up one-on-one and he doesn't make much of it, and, th- and that's where I think uh, Peterson probably could. Something that I gathered today in the Vikings locker room, Ben, was uh, Alex Boone saying, uh, the very full uh, Vikings locker room, uh, was <laughs> Alex Boone saying that he felt the continuity of the offensive line, actually getting a couple of games together as is, uh, will help. And maybe it will, maybe it won't, but 
I didn't think that they were particularly good last week, and at times, especially when they needed to be good the, toward the end of the game, they were abysmal. Oh, how did you feel about the offensive line, the much maligned offensive line's performance hmm. last week? You know, overall, and this is not a high standard by any means, but overall I did think they were a little bit better. Now, I, I agree with what you're saying at the end of the game, where they needed to either be able to clear some holes or protect Sam Bradford, and they didn't do that. I mean, the strip sack was was on the offensive line, and that was a play that put the Cardinals back in the game. There's no two ways around that. I mean, there's, that was something that, that shouldn't have happened, and it did, and it made the game closer than it needed to be when it looked like the Vikings were about to put it out of reach. But, yeah, I, boy, it, it's hard because they're, they're not going to be that good. I mean, that line just isn't going to be that good. But for their standards, I guess it was better. Now, I mean, how good do you need them to be? I mean, that's the other question. Can if you can you get by with substandard offensive line play? And that's probably another way where Adrian Peterson helps you is the the fact that I mean, we saw him hampered, hampered, hampered and hindered. I was trying to combine those two words, and it came out as hampered. Uh, we'll go with it. We saw him hampered <laughs> by a bad offensive line the first two weeks of. The- season where he wasn't able to get anything going and was getting hit within I think one week it was like within a foot of the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. but give him enough chances there is going to be one of the two of those where he breaks something and, I, and I'm not saying that it has to happen on every play but just to have the threat of somebody that can make a play that's 30 yards or longer every once in a while would be something they desperately need so uh, yeah I, I thought the offensive line was a little better uh that said, it's still not going to be anything where you look at it and say, yeah, this is a really good offensive line. And take this for what it's worth, the two lowest-rated offensive players on the Vikings by Pro Football Focus for last week were the two tackles, Jeremiah Searles and TJ Clemmings, which yeah. should come as no surprise. And I, and I tweeted out somebody's vine off their TV of Jeremiah Searles being spun around like a top, um, almost like performance art of a turnstile. <laughs> and uh, it was it, it wasn't good, but the only thing, at least for as it pertains to this Detroit game, is that they don't have one of those freak show edge rushers. They do not have a Chandler Jones or a Pernell McPhee or, you know, go back to Whitney Merciless. They don't have one of those guys that, of that caliber of talent. And uh, maybe Detroit was their best game in terms of protecting uh, Sam Bradford this year. And in fact, against Detroit, I, I thought they moved the ball pretty well. Yeah. Um, well, Ziggy do Ansah doesn't qualify as freakish uh, edge rusher. Maybe he does. I don't know. Where do you put him? Do you do you think well, that he's in that same level? Maybe he is. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he had fourteen and a half sacks last year, but he doesn't. Boy, he does not have a sack this year. Right. Right. So, which is crazy. I mean, yeah, their, their defense. Lot. I just don't think their defense has that much talent. Yeah, I mean, fourteen and a half to be shut out through. I mean, he's only played seven games, but wow, that's that's quite the drop off. I mean, that's. That's uh, I, I didn't realize he was he was in that boat where and, he didn't have any. And if you think about it too, that Detroit game, what did they go two for five or something in the red zone? I mean, they they were moving the ball. There were opportunities yeah. to score mm-hmm. against Detroit's defense, and they just didn't get it done because they seem obsessed with stuffing all of their big people in one giant pile and having Matt Asiata bounce into it, which I still. I'm not a big fan of that philosophy. Statistically, it's a lot worse chance than uh, 
just running a QB sneak, but uh, they don't want a QB sneak, Sam Bradford. Speaking of QBs, are you ready for QB yes. trivia? I am. Do, 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 we we do, really do, need to get theme music for this. we got to talk to production people and get something set up for this. All right. Well, I'll see if I can throw in some music uh, underneath us here. Or maybe it's already there as you're listening to it and you're thinking, oh, that's the music he was talking about. All right. So I believe – now my count could be off because I'm just using Wikipedia here – that there are 13 quarterbacks who played for the Detroit Lions post-Scott Mitchell era between Ooh. Mitchell – and Matthew Stafford. So what years we're talking about here, and, and okay, we'll go into... It's just going to be hard. Let me, let me just clarify. From 2011 to 2015, no one else has started um, for, for the Lions. So in 2010, other people started other than Matt Stafford. Same with 09 and 08. All those quarterbacks count in this trivia. So just from 2011. And then we'll go back to 1997, the last year that Scott Mitchell... Um, was the sole starter of the Lions. Okay. He was there for one more year, and there were a bunch of a bunch of guys thrown in. So your so Detroit 13, Lions starting quarterbacks. I believe there are thirteen, but my count could be off. So there's thirteen, and a so I need seven. Uh yes. And I get my three hints again. Yes, correct. All right, all right. Okay. Uh, boy, there Mike are McMahon. some gems in here. Yes, Mike McMahon, yeah. two thousand two. Uh, John Kitna. John Kitna is correct. He threw for over 4,000 yards one year. Wow. True story. Um, let's see. Sean, that, one of the Seans. You, there Sean is, Hill. Yeah. Did Sean, Sean Hill start a game there? He, he did, did. He? Yes, 2000. He actually started 10 games in 2010. Yes, that's what I thought. Uh, that's Charlie that's Batch. Three. That would be four. Uh, correct, Charlie Batch. Okay. Um, he started, wow, he started a lot of games for them. 15 and 2000. They were, did you know the lines were bad, Ben? I don't remember the lines ever being bad. <laughs> 2008. I remember them being pretty bad. Um, and they had lots of quarterbacks. You could still guess. Yeah. Let's see here. Um, One of them. You absolutely shouldn't miss. That's not a hint. You just come on now. Uh, Drew Stanton. Uh, he there? that's not who I was thinking of, but that is correct. That's five. Okay. One of them I absolutely shouldn't miss. I mean, um, one, come on. You just. Oh, Dante Culpepper. That is correct. That's six. That is leading the witness a little bit, but still, you would have upset well, yeah, me if you missed that yeah, one. Yeah, no, you're right. All uh, right, so you're one can, away from moving on to next week. Let's see if I can get one more without and, a hint and here. Dallas is going to be so worth it. Yeah, let's see. Uh, well, if I can't, if I can get one more at this point, I deserve to go home, but. All right. Um, <laughs> you already you see. already are home, actually. Well, I know, but in the figurative sense. Yeah. I guess. Um, Sean, right, no. There, is there another Sean? Did Sean right. King start for them? Um, no, he didn't. Are you ready for some hints? Are you leaning on the no, hints? No, I got one, one more just... here. Um, ah, gosh. There's... Yeah, give me a hint. All right. There's another former Viking in here. Um, this would be I, I okay. I could be wrong on this, but I think this would be one achievement that Brad Childress goes home and he says to his family, "Can you believe I got this many wins with blank as my starting quarterback?" Uh Gus Farad. That is absolutely correct. So you advance to next week. Now nice. let me give you some hints on uh, some other ones. This quarterback was responsible for the greatest comeback in NFL history. 
Frank Reich? Frank Reich started two games in 1998. Did he, really? he certainly did. Wow. I swear, and I could be wrong about this, I swear one of them was on Thanksgiving. Um, huh. This guy, well, he's just got a great quarterback name. He used to play backup quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. He makes a great blank for himself. Uh... When you've convinced someone of something, you've made a great blank for yourself. Case. Stony uh, Case. Stony that's right. Case, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. And you are missing, Gosh. and I believe that's everyone, um, except for one that you sh- no, two more that you shouldn't one you shouldn't have missed. A high draft pick. They thought he was the franchise, and he is oh, just Oh, Joey Harrington. Yeah, Busty McBuster Boy, face. He sucked. Yep. <laughs> and uh the last one, I have no recollection of this man playing quarterback for the Detroit Lions in two thousand five. <laughs> An excellent quarterback in San Francisco, uh, resurgence in Philadelphia at one Jeff point. Jeff Garcia. Jeff Garcia started five games. Wow. And those, Man, they, they have yeah, through them. yeah, those are your magnificent quarterbacks from Detroit. Surviving. Good job. Man. Good job. And uh, I don't know if we clarified this last week, but when we get to Indianapolis and Green Bay, you're going to have to guess other stuff: running backs, yeah. wide receivers, because that's just not fair. You would win it with two quarterbacks, right? And um, the the Bears, we can certainly go back to quarterbacks oh, because there's Bears. a lot with the Bears. I can't wait for the Bears. There are we so didn't, many we, bad did we ones. start this? When did we start this? It was uh, three uh, three we, weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago? Yeah. Did we do two this with ago. the Lions once? No, we didn't do this with the Lions already, did we? No, no, we did Arizona. No, we did. And Redskins, right? And Washington, yes. Those were the two yeah. times we've done it with. So the Bears is still fair game because we didn't do it the first time. Uh-huh. And just to be clear, even though you have all week internet access, you have not cheated on any of these. I have not cheated. I, I would not do that. I care too much about the integrity of this game <laughs> to do that. And if, if people out there think I'm kidding, you don't know how much I uh, geek out over trivia contests, particularly those where little more than bragging rights are on the line. Were you a video game person growing up? Because the reason that I know these quarterbacks a lot yeah. is just that I I played every Madden. So I'm like, oh, I remember Stony Case from uh, Madden 64, obviously. You know, I was like, yeah, I was a video game person, but I would buy Madden like every other year, I think, mm-hmm. generally. I didn't buy it every year because a lot of times it was just update the rosters. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, generally, I, mean, I, I bought a lot of copies of Madden, but not every single season. So, yeah, I mean, I would have... I probably would have been playing with a lot of NFC North teams, so I, I'm sure I ran across some of those quarterbacks at that point. I just remember watching a lot of bad Lions quarterbacks on Thanksgiving Day, so I think that's why guys like Mike McMahon come to mind, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, he sucks, but he's on national TV, and I'm oh. at my grandparents' house, and I'm watching it. So I missed another one not? that I think you should have gotten for an all-time NFL blooper, and that's Dan Orlovsky. I forgot to bring up Dan Orlovsky. Ah, uh, yes. Running out of the back of the end zone. Yeah, which uh, Jared Allen was happy to claim as a sack. <laughs> and Jared Allen was, uh, you know, uh, not not that Jared Allen cared at all about his statistics, but uh, he was he was happy to put that one on his record. Did you know? Also, speaking of NFL bloopers, because I don't know what to pick for this game, so I'm just killing some time here. Um, <laughs> today, as we record this, is the anniversary of butt fumble too, because it happened yes. on Thanksgiving night. Yes, it is. The the uh, all-time greatest, I don't know if it'll ever be beat, blooper, maybe in sports, ever. A guy fumbling (laughs) from someone else's butt and then it being returned for a touchdown. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that on Twitter today. It was the anniversary of the butt fumble. And uh, certainly a 
One of several uh, all-time bloopers to happen on Thanksgiving Day. The old uh, Leon Lett. Mm-hmm. It was Leon Lett round two. It was the year after the Cowboys won the Super Bowl and Don Beebe stripped Leon Lett. Mm-hmm. He had the one on, on Thanksgiving Day where it was snowing in Dallas, I think. Uh-huh, sure was. And it was like... Uh, it was a, what was it a block field goal? I think block field goal. Saying, and it would have been stay uh, away from it. Right, it would have been. And he tried I think to slide to, and, right to win the game, and yeah. I don't even remember exactly how that rule worked. But he slid across the field in the yeah. snow and ice into the ball, and it was the most yep. bizarre thing. And then not and only, yeah, right. Not only did he give the Dolphins the ball back, but they took all, all this time while they were sorting it out to clean off a spot for the kicker. Maybe that was Pete Stoyanovich at the time. Probably. And, uh, Love my old kickers. Yeah, um, like single bar. Pete Soriano is a good kicker. He had yeah. a big leg. Another thing on that butt fumble is um, go just go back, do yourself a favor, go watch it again because my favorite thing about it is that Chris Collinsworth knows how bad that was, and he just goes as they were returning for a touchdown. He just goes, "Oh no!" Like <laughs> the it, the internet and Mark Sanchez, and like it just, "Oh no." It knows right away what happened. <laughs> oh, great football moments. Yeah. Uh, so predictions for this game. All right. So what do you got? If you want me I, to go first, I certainly can. Uh, why don't you go first? I've just been so darn wrong lately. Yeah, I have. I have been too. I finally got one right last week. I picked the Vikings to win last week. Uh, I guess as I've been doing throughout this losing streak, which is probably part of the reason I've been wrong, but. Uh, I picked them. I had to make a prediction for one other thing earlier today, and I will make it again here. Uh, Twenty to fourteen. I've got the Vikings winning this one. I think they will not miss opportunities the same way they did in the first game against the Lions. We probably won't see them take over on the eighteen-yard line again and mm-hmm. uh, wind up punting, presumably, uh, given the fact that that has very rarely happened in recent NFL history. Uh, I would expect that they probably won't have that happen again. So uh, I would expect that they'll do a better job of capitalizing opportunities. I think their defense will be more consistent than it was, assuming that they have all of their starters back by the time this game is played, which I think they'll have most of them. And I think they win it uh, by two field goals, I guess, and uh, come back to U.S. Bank Stadium for a big one against the Cowboys next Thursday. I'm going to go with the um, go bold or go home strategy, although I, too, am home. Um, I think the Vikings win convincingly here. I, I think they win 24 to 10. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm feeling an offensive breakout. I think they've, they've made strides under Pat Shermer. A couple of mistakes here or there by Detroit. Maybe a, a, a big running play at some point uh, during the season. And uh, I think after that second half of the Cardinals game, the defense feels like they're back and them being fully healthy. We think I'm saying we think because there are guys right. on the injury report, but being fully healthy, this, this is the one where they really uh, let everybody know that they're back and they're one of the top teams in the NFC could go completely the opposite way, but I'll make that my prediction. Yeah. It's uh, for a lot of times that these Thanksgiving day games are kind of, overwrought matchups that aren't really that good. This one has a lot of intrigue to it. Oh, I mean, it's a good you, know, one. You, you have a lot of times where the Lions are kind of the appetizer for <laughs> the Cowboys. And, Lions and a lot versus of the Titans or something, right? Yeah. Or, or Indianapolis yeah. beats them by 72 points or whatever. I mean, yeah, there have been a lot it's, of bad ones. Especially in the years where 
they've before they did this cross flexing thing where it was okay. Well, we want to put the Cowboys against somebody in the NFC East, so we have to put an AFC team against the Lions, so we have something to put on CBS. The, before they had to do that, I mean, now this year that you've got two division games that both are of significant import for the playoff picture in the NFC. So uh, both should be good ones on Thursday. It's uh, it's nice to have some decent Thanksgiving Day matchups, that, especially the Lions game that, that has something on the line. I'm, I'm going to do a piece for Thursday morning about how rare it's been that the Vikings and Lions have been the two teams battling for NFC North supremacy. I mean, you, you, you know about the Packers and the Vikings. You know about the Packers and the Bears. Uh, you even know about the Vikings and the Bears and probably the Bears and the Lions. But this rivalry is probably the least high-profile of any in the division, so it'll be interesting to have it uh, matter a little bit more. So, uh, should be should be a fun matchup on Thursday. I will be at Ford Field, spending my Thanksgiving Day chronicling Vikings Lions. Are are we podcasting Thursday? Have we have we settled on this yet? We sure are, right? Yeah. I, if you and the sports grinch are ready for it, I'll be uh, I'll be working anyway. So. I'll be I will be ready um, to go. So we'll be doing it. So we will be we will be uh, doing the usual thing. I'll be calling in from Ford Field. Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad will be with you for the remainder of the podcast, and uh, we will break down how things go on Thanksgiving Day for the Vikings before they head back home for a big one against the Dallas Cowboys. We should have a much clearer picture by Thursday afternoon of where things sit in the NFC North, and we'll certainly have plenty to talk about after the game on Thursday. We will talk to you then. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for listening. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.